Well, good morning once again. We uh, had a busy weekend. Um, some of you I know went on the train ride to the beach, and you have the, the sunburn to prove it. And uh, it was a bright day at the beach. It was a long day, too, for those who did it. There was, uh, I think, 8 o'clock till some people got back as late as 7. And so quite a long day. And then a, a, a group of almost 30 went from the train depot to Old Spaghetti Factory for another, you know, two hours of enjoying time, hanging out with one another, eating. And then there was an even, uh, uh, you know, another group or so that, that went to the uh, Lyft Coffee one-year anniversary celebration. And so it was a long day together for a lot of people. And so um, uh, it was a lot of fun, though. My kids were at the, at the, at the Lyft Coffee uh, celebration and they were it was like you know 10 at night and one of them was just like bumping into me because he was so tired and so you give him a shot of coffee at that point and it gets him moving again and no but um, one thing I want to let everyone know the owners of Lyft they they let me know that they would like to pre- be providing our coffee for the mornings and so they've been mentioning this to me and so we're, we talked a little bit more about it yesterday and so that's something uh, exciting change coming up so they're going to be providing that to our congregation so we can enjoy that together and so that's really cool. Um, the Anders are members of our church, and so they wanted to just share that. And so, um, so I'm sure some of you are tired. Some of you may be sunburned, and um, I am both of those things. And so let's pray together once again. Father, again, we just pause to say thank you for your, for your love. And God, just as we sang right now, we're here to worship. Part of that is what we've already been doing, and part of it is really just to uh, receive from you, from your word, Lord, so that we can know how to live a life of worship. So when we leave this place, Lord, we would be um, uh, daily living out um, lives that would please you. Lord, may you be honored um, through all that is shared this morning. And Lord, you see right into our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that you would um, speak to us and challenge us, Lord. You know our motives. You know what we're wrestling with. You know what's on our mind, our priorities. Lord, we, we just give you the freedom, like we sang right now, to, uh, to, to shift things around. Lord, we, we present ourselves to you. We ask you to use us and challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're, we're spending some time as we wrap up the summer um, looking at Jesus' description of life in his kingdom. And Jesus gave a very, very clear picture of life in his kingdom in his most famous sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in the midst of all the excitement that surrounded Jesus' life and his ministry, um, his identity, um, the healings, the delivering of, of people who were plagued with, with demonic, uh, oppressive spirits, uh, people who, you know, the man that Jesus raised from the dead, all of this stuff going on, there was this excitement and this frenzy around Jesus himself. And in the midst of all this, he leads his followers up to a mountainside, and he begins to teach them. And he teaches them about what does it really mean to follow him. And he starts laying out these character qualities of life in his kingdom. And those, those character qualities we began to look at last week, those are known as the Beatitudes. It's Matthew chapter 5. The first 12 verses, he lays out these, these um, statements that really, like, blessed are what we looked at last week, right? Um, now I'm blanking on that. Oh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And he starts going through this list of, of people that he calls blessed. But when you read through the list that he calls blessed in our um, estimation of, of those words, we would think the opposite. The peacemakers, the poor in spirit, the persecuted, the merciful. We look at that group and we think, ah, we feel a little sorry for that group. We feel a little bad for that group. But Jesus says they're, they're highly blessed. So we looked at what that 
where he began last week. And we, we fleshed out what it means relationally to be a peacemaker. And, but Jesus, when he's teaching on life in his kingdom, he, he literally flips upside down our perspective. Because it, this character qualities that he's laying out in the Sermon on the Mount, they're the polar opposite of our native tendency. That's why when you look at this picture, you go outside your house and you see this world outside it's flipped upside down. Because reality, as he is laying it out, is very, very different from our native thinking and, and, and living. So Jesus, he came to earth to really show God's love. And his goal was really that he would see the kingdom message spread throughout the entire earth. He wanted to spread the message of the kingdom throughout the entire earth. And the big question is this. What is his plan? What was his plan for making the kingdom move and spread throughout the earth? And this week we're going to look at how Jesus answered this important question. Here, here's the key question for really this morning. Jesus was really asking, or, or he's going to answer this question. How is my kingdom going to spread? What's the plan? How is my kingdom going to spread throughout the entire earth? Think about this for a moment. How would you answer this? And based on what you know, think about that for a moment. How do you spread a message? What's the most effective way to get the word out about something? In our day, companies, they spend all sorts of money to, to make sure that their, that their message goes viral. And they create strategies, and they pour dollars and time into um, advertising. Uh, all sorts of money. Walmart... In 2013, spent, they've spent $690 million in advertising to draw customers into their stores to spend money. That's a lot of money just on advertising. If you're going to make billions, then they're going to have to spend in the hundreds of millions in order to do that, right? Um, Ford, the car company, they spent $857 million in 2013. You know, and they exceeded their sales expectations by, by doing that. They, you know, that's a nice looking car, isn't it there? The White Storm. <laughs> Geico, another company, this insurance company, they spent $921 million in 2013. And now they're about to overtake for the number two spot in insurance sales. And so they're about to overtake or pass up Allstate. And so, you know, they're advertising, you know, they're using all this money in order to get their message out. Again, to make billions, to make this huge impact, it's going to cost them a lot. It's going to, they're going to have to focus. These days, companies will do you know, all sorts of things. They'll put commercials. In order to pique our interest, you'll be browsing the Internet. And as you're browsing the Internet, you see these ads pop up with these advertising videos. Um, we have one of those videos we want to show you. This is from a, a friend of, of, of ours from college, and he's, he does acting and commercials and different things. And he's the star in this commercial. And so we're going to show you. But this, this commercial, you know, it's one that shows, they're trying to show the usefulness of their product. The product is the Yellow Pages. So, so let's roll that. With millions of businesses all in one place, the YP app can help you do pretty much anything. Unless you wanted to go to the moon. YP couldn't help you do that. Or could it? You'll need a space helmet. YP can do that. You'll need parts. YP has the highest rated hardware stores. You'll need a solid background in aeronautical engineering. You'll need power tools. YP's great for that. YP even has a cheap gas finder, which is perfect for longer trips. The 
even more powerful, find, organize, and share your favorite businesses so much more than a search engine yellow pages. YP can do that. That's funny. I talked to him after he filmed this, and it was like the, the last scene there, I think, was up in the high desert, like near Palmdale, up in the high desert. And that's where the spacewalk scene happened there, in case you're wondering. But, you know, companies, this is normal. They spend, take all, you know, it takes all kind of time and money to really motivate people to buy. So Jesus' question here, that, that what, what is his method or plan going to be to spread his message throughout the whole world? What's the plan? Here's the plan. It's at the top. You listen, guy, Christ's followers are his plan. Jesus' followers are the number one plan that he uses to spread his kingdom message. We're the plan. Those of us who follow Christ, collectively, we're, we're that plan. Some churches, you know, they use pretty slick advertising in order to attract people to come to their church. We have advertising in order so that people will know that we're here and know how to find us. But... Beyond advertising, it's the people in the church who are going to enhance and then explain Jesus' message. It's the character of the people in the church. We're the plan. It's the character of those people who are walking with Jesus that, that he is using in order to motivate more people to want to know who he is. This is his number one plan. Um, Jesus' followers, you're the go-to strategy. You may not... Think of this. You may not want to be this, but he said, look, this is, this is what I intend you to do with your life. And here's how it happened. This happens as Jesus changes his followers into salt and light. Now, this passage we're going to look at describes how there's this change that takes place in us. And he's called us to be salt and light. This is what he's wanting to change in the way that we do life and the way we approach our lives. This passage is, is more than likely, um, it could be a familiar passage for you. Um, so if it is a familiar passage, I want you to think about, okay, what should I do? I already know this, because you may already know this. The big question is, what will you do to join in his plan? Let, let's look at this together. It says, Jesus says to them, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You know, once the salt has lost its flavor and its taste, he says, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt that's useless just gets discarded, tossed aside. Then he says in verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now he's addressing this to a group of people. So when he says you, he wasn't pointing at just one individual in the crowd and saying, Look, you're the salt. And you over there, you're the light. You be the salt, you be the light. Focus on your jobs. No, he's really saying, you, this is plural, he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So it's not just like one little light bulb, you know, on a tree. It's, it's, it's really the power of, of a team lighting up, you know what I mean? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. This, it's not just a grain of salt, but it's, it's, it's the impact of all of us with our lives. These metaphors really describe the strategy behind Jesus' plan to spread the message. Think about what these things do. Think about salt. Think about light. Um, Salt does this. Salt makes people thirsty. Okay? This is part of our lives. This is what's to be happening as people interact with us. Salt makes people thirsty. It spices things up. Makes things taste better. It's also a preservative. 
You know, when something is decaying, salt can slow down the decaying process. So Jesus is essentially saying that his followers really should live a life that makes people thirst for the truth. That, that as people interact with us, that they would be thirsty and they'd be drawn to, to know more. They want to taste more of what you're experiencing. That there would be this attractive quality to our lives. Not just individually, but collectively. Because part of it is us teaming together. Because when one person does something kind and, and courteous or generous, you know, they're like, okay, that guy's unusual. Not a lot of people like him. But when a whole group of people are kind and courteous and giving, you know, when, people, when a whole group of people are thinking of others, man, that's extremely attractive. But also that our lives would spice up conversations. That's part of the salt. That when we're in interacting with people, that, it, that our lives would spice things up in a way that want to make people hear more about who Jesus is. Also, just this salt is living in a way that really slows down the decaying process in our culture. I don't know if you're aware, but things are constantly decaying in our culture. You turn on the news and you see just the darkness. You see the decay. Um, Jesus is, is saying, look, we're to be displaying lives that really show people that, make Jesus, or that, that following Jesus really does make life better. Then he commands us to be light. Light is this. Light illuminates. It, it draws people toward it, kind of like a searchlight that draws people to an event. Like if you're looking for the car lot and it's late at night and you see these, this searchlight and you're like, okay, just follow the light. I'll find the, the new car lot. That our lives are to be illuminating or illuminated to the point to where, again, people are drawn, drawn in. We're to, to live a life that helps people see the truth about Jesus, who he really is. And we're to shine our lives in dark places. We're to actually interact in dark places at points to where we're to interact with people who are going through difficult things so people can be attracted to him and also to, to us. Look at this quote here from a British evangelist and preacher from the beginning of last century, G. Campbell Morgan. He's, he talks about this passage and he says this, Jesus, looking out over the multitudes of his day, he saw the corruption he saw the disintegration of life at every point, its breakup, its spoliation. It means like the, the impact of being plundered. And because of his love of the multitudes, he knew that the thing that they needed most was salt in order that the corruption should be arrested. He saw them also wrapped in gloom, sitting in darkness, groping amid mists and fogs. He knew that they needed above everything else light. He makes us salt and light. Now, these may seem like just impersonal ideas, salt, light, decay, darkness, but they get real personal when you start thinking about the reality of the darkness and the decay. We all know people who are walking through very, very dark times. We know people, there's people in our families, there's people in our congregation whose lives are, are breaking down and there's some devastation and there's some difficulty that they're facing right now. In fact, you might be in a point of darkness. You just feel like it has broken down. I don't have to turn on the TV because I, and, and we experience this in, in our world. But in terms of spreading the message, Christ followers, we have a very um, pivotal role to play in slowing down the decay, in bringing light to this world. And we don't just start out as salt and light. Jesus actually, he, he wants to make us into people who would be this. And he's, he's painting a picture of what it means to be salt and light. And so, the whole Sermon on the Mount that we're digging into in this series is really 
his teaching on what it means to be salt and light. Just applying the, the, the things in the Sermon on the Mount, that makes a huge difference. Last week we looked at you know, how a person who handles anger the right way, you know, how that makes a real difference. Just handling relationships in the right way, when they make it right with the person that they offend, that's a huge thing. Also, just someone who refuses to, to objectify individuals. Again, that's being salt and light. When you value human dignity, when you recognize that God has placed a high value on people and you start treating people with the value that God has placed on them, that, that's, that's being salt and light in this world because it's so different. It stands out. When you keep your word, we looked at that last week. Again, that's being salt and light. When you show God's love, when you're generous, some of the things in the sermon that we'll look at in the, in the weeks to come, all of these different things, it just draws people to want to uh, know more. It draws people towards him. Uh, but being salt and light is not just to be a memorable analogy. This is to be the highest priority. This is, this is a high priority for Christ's followers. You can study through Jesus' commissioning statements, and you can see how this, this is what it's all about. If you walk with Christ, he, he's, he wants this to be a high priority for you that you see yourself as salt and light. Jesus follows this metaphor with a command. Look at verse 16. He follows the metaphor, and he commands us in this way. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. It's not like, eh, if you want to, turn the lights on. He, no, let your light shine that they may see and be drawn to God. And in this command, he places this high priority for the fact that this is to be at the forefront of the Christian life, to see ourselves as salt and light. We're his strategy. We're his plan A. We're the go-to strategy for getting the message out. Uh, In order to do this, we have to continually allow God to shine through us. We have to continually to turn away from sin. We have to continue to dig into the Scripture. We, we have to continue to respond to God when he pinpoints something in our life and says, this needs to change and I want, I, I want this to happen. We have to keep responding to him. But the challenge about this is since we're always on display, because what he's saying is, look, your life is on display and your life is intended to draw people to him. Since he's saying that, the question is this. When people look at our lives, what do they see? What do they see? In our culture currently, you know, there's all sorts of generalizations about Christianity and about Christ's followers. And so we live in a culture where people are more and more opposed to Christianity. And so what do they see when they interact with you? What do they experience? Is there this thirsting that goes on? Is there this, is there this attraction factor towards God when people encounter our lives? Recently, the musician Tom Petty, he was quoted saying this, no one's got Christ more wrong than the Christians. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, that really stings. And it stinks also that he said this. Now, how is he able to say this? Well, because there's a lot of problems, isn't there, in, in, in people? He's, he's documenting in this article. He's written a song. What's the song? It's called, um, it's a new song. Like, it's called Playing Dumb. And he's written a song to address, to speak out against some of the wrong that has occurred in the whole of, of Christ followers and in one group among Christ followers and scandals and sexual abuse that has been ignored in one group of 
of Christ's followers. And he's just calling out what is wrong and what shouldn't be. And you know what? He's right about that because for that group of claimed Christ followers, then, you know, he's just, he's, he's highlighting the hypocrisy that exists there. Now, I'm not sure he has the full picture and the right to, to make this huge statement. Um, but what's frustrating is the whole of us, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. We all get lumped in the mix of this whole thing, don't we? And so when he's highlighting this hip, you know, hypocritical segment of, of so-called Christ followers, it impacts us all. And so many people around our world and in our country share this same attitude as Tom Petty because of some of the hypocrisy of some churches and some Christians. And the reality is God is perfect. He's perfect. But the people who serve God aren't perfect, are we? We're not perfect. And so things don't always make sense for the people who are looking at our lives from the outside. And that's a reality that is is very difficult. Now, again, the question is, when people see our lives, what do they see? What do they experience? It'd be interesting if someone wrote a book about our lives, wouldn't it? (laughs) There's this book that, that I read about six years ago, I think. We were just starting this church. The book's called The Unlikely Disciple. I pointed this out probably six years ago because I was reading it. It's a, it's a book that um, I find fascinating. It's a guy who, he was a student at Brown University. And in, uh, he just decides to enroll in Liberty University. Huge Christian um, college in uh, Roanoke, right? No, Lynchburg, Virginia. And uh, Jerry Falwell, he was the president or the chancellor at that time. He's passed on at this point, but... It's uh, Jerry Falwell was a very outspoken uh, Christian, and so he enrolled undercover as a Christian in, into Liberty University. And he got in the dormitory, and he, he, his whole thing was, I'm going to pretend to be a Christian, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fit into this environment. And he just documented, he was a journalist, and so he documented his whole thing. He wrote a book about his whole experience. And um, now, having attended a Christian university locally in this city, um, I found this very fascinating to have experienced some of the things that he was addressing and, and relating and just thinking, wow, that is eye-opening about what he experienced. And again, what if someone were to write a book about experiencing life with you and with me? What, what would they be? What would, what would those chapters say about us? Now, this hits hard when we recognize that we're to be salt and light. And, and he wants people's interaction with us to really look different. That book is called The Unlikely Disciple, Kevin Roos. Now, he doesn't become a Christian in the, in the process. He actually identifies a lot of hypocrisy, and he also identifies there's some really good people in this university that really genuinely have a faith in this God. He's like, I don't believe in the same things. I don't believe all that they believe, but it impacted him um, on some level. Now, <clears throat> the thought of, wow, people are watching me, People are watching us. They're studying our lives. That may cause fear to well up in your heart. I know for me, it does. You and I, we're not perfect. And so it can be overwhelming to, to realize that our lives are on display because you actually put a lamp on a stand where it will permeate that light throughout the room. We're to be on display. We're to live on display. God doesn't, ex- he doesn't expect us to be perfect. He expects, though, that we would allow him to change us. If we're his, then he would, that, that we would, that we've given the freedom to change, to pinpoint areas of our life that need to be changing, and then we continue to yield those things to be salt and light. 
Now, Christians being real Christ followers is his plan A. We've got to be real Christ followers. That's, that's his plan to spread this message throughout the world. Now, I don't know what would be written about our congregation in a book. We do have, we, I threw a question out to some people who've become Christians in our church, and I asked them this question. Here's the question I asked them. These are people who were formerly not Christ followers. They got around our church, started getting to know people, and um, they became Christ followers here. Um, the question was this. How did the way Christians live and relate draw you to Christ? And I want you to look at just a few of these answers. Noreen Bishop, she's a member of our church, she said the way they lived was an honorable way. She noticed there was something unique, and she just, I wanted to live my life that way. There was this attractive quality to what she was experiencing that caused her to desire that for herself. Another another quote, this is from Mike Andrews. Mike got baptized at our last baptism. He's uh, uh, He was a Riverside police uh, officer. He said this, I noticed their strong faith and belief in prayer. So he, he got around people who had who were serious about walking with God and who brought requests to God in faith and they believed God on things. And he said, once I was able to adopt these values, it really changed my life, brought me closer to Christ. He experienced really this this salt factor. You know, people who combated the decaying nature of our world by praying and asking God to turn things around in their lives and the lives of others. He experienced that and it drew him in. Another quote here. Jeanette Diaz. Jeanette said, The Christian friends I had were different in a good way. Now, you can't always, you hope that that's the statement that you have people make about you. <laughs> Might be like in an odd way, but she said, In a good way. Seeing the good and the way they dealt with different life situations made me wonder what was in their hearts. Now, if this isn't from Matthew 5.16, now she didn't know we were touching on this when I asked this question. She didn't know what part of this passage we are going to look at, but if that's not in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, that she'd be drawn to wonder, what is going on inside of them? I know this can't just be that they're good people, that there's some... One changing them. This last quote, Danny Mello, he said, Danny's in sales. And so I like the way he puts this last statement. It's kind of a sales statement at the end. The positive attitudes and willingness to help others. Because he, he got around the congregation, he started seeing people serve one another, helping each other with moves, helping, each, helping serve in Sunday mornings. Positive attitudes, the willingness to help others. If Christ followers were willing to live this way, I want to be a part of it. That's a quotable right there, I think. Just He was drawn into this whole, I want to be part of that. I want, I want to know where that's from. I want that to rub off on my life and my family. Now, these are great examples of real people in our church who've experienced the salt and the light of Jesus you know, and that impact. And now, really to, to apply this is, is, if you flip over to the back here, to fulfill Jesus' command... We need to get really specific and start thinking about real people, real names, real needs, and take real steps to be salt and light. Or these words just remain metaphors, don't they? If we don't figure out how do we apply this, and this is just a neat you know, song. This little light of mine. I'm the, it's not more than that unless we put some steps to it. And so God has already placed you in a family among friends, in a neighborhood, in a workplace, to be salt and light. So we've given you a half sheet of paper with three grids on it. You see it. My family and friends, my neighborhood, my workplace. 
And so imagine that the, the middle box in the my neighborhood is, is that little you know, box in the middle where it says you. You might want to draw your house there. That's your house, literally. Think about that would be your house and your family or just you and your roommate. <clears throat> the other eight boxes, that, that represents the eight houses or the eight apartments or the eight dorm rooms nearest you. Okay? And, and I, I want you to take a moment to literally fill out as much of this as you can. Try to literally identify, if you can, the names. If not, then maybe just they look like this. Maybe you draw some, some figures if you want. Stick figures, color in hair, no hair, then you can just leave it bald like me. and you can Just try to make this descriptions as much as you can. But, but see how far you can get on this exercise, whether you're on a cul-de-sac in an apartment, dormitory, you live on a ranch. Take, take a moment and try to fill out your neighborhood, figure out what that means for you. difficult to do this, isn't it? I know we're, I got this exercise from a book and in the book the author said that it's like, you know, less than 3% of people can actually identify the eight nearest neighbors. Now, if you live in a dormitory, you probably can pull this off, but um, but maybe not. And school hasn't started yet, so I guess you can't really pull that off. So, um, But begin to think now about if you've got maybe some names jotted down, maybe write a word that would summarize a need that you might be aware of in their lives. If you can't do that, just leave it blank. But if you can, maybe there's a word that sums up a need that they have. For example, you might notice there's a neighbor across the street who's working on a project. You've seen him working on this project, and so you know, man, I could probably help with that need. He's building something. I could probably help with that need. Or you have an elderly neighbor across the street who needs someone to, to pull trash cans to the curb or their trees need trimming or you have a neighbor who's opened up that they've lost their job and maybe you know they need groceries because he's not working right now. So write a word or a phrase about maybe a need that exists in any of those boxes to the people in your lives if you can. This is difficult to do. Now take the time to, to do the same thing on your own with your family and friends, and then also take the time to do that with your workplace. When it comes to your workplace, it might be um, a little easier to identify your eight nearest coworkers, um, but sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes it's easy just to be able to punch in and just do your job and not relate to anyone. Um, if you work with a handful of Christians like I do in, in our church office, then you might have to think about the office suites beside you. You know, who, where is your office in location to others? Um, but it's, if I'm honest, it's very difficult to fill out these things because it's easy to just, to just, you know, fold this thing down to where all that exists in our little world is me in the middle. And I live my life with my family, and I just live life like this, and, and this is my world, and I'm very unaware of my world. It's very, very important, if we're going to be salt and light, that we, we break out of that mentality and thinking. Before Christmas, we started praying as a family for our neighbors, for our neighborhood, and we've seen God work. And we've seen conversations, spiritual conversations, beginning to happen with 
many of our neighbors on our street. And we talked with our small group, and we've been, others challenged and, and shared about this same idea about how do, we, how do we love the people that God has placed in our lives, the people around us, to go beyond just kind of giving lip service to this whole idea of being salt and light. I want to encourage you, take initiative to, to meet the people that, that God has placed in you and to be salt and light to them. If you're a Christ follower, then you're a part of his plan to spread this message throughout the earth. Big question is, will we get in on that plan? Will we get in on that plan? I want to invite our worship team to come back up to this stage and also ask the ushers to prepare to receive this morning's offering. And on the back, you'll notice there's some next steps or on the, on the back of your connection card, three things you could do to apply. One would be memorize that verse, Matthew 5.16. Next one would be to begin to pray specifically for a group. And the last thing would be to really go and work through this, these quadrants on your own time. Just spend some time this week. And it's okay if it's, if it's just, okay, I need to start. I need to figure out who is that person across the street in that quadrant above me. What are their names? How can I meet them? How can I discover what they really need in their life? I guarantee if you start praying and you make, you make yourself available to God in this, you'll see him work. It probably won't be instantaneous, but if you join God in what he's doing, because what we found is, wow, God, you really have been working on our street. Now we've been able to just join you with some of what you're doing if we'll make ourselves available to him. In a moment, our ushers are going to be receiving our offering, and you'll be able to drop that connection card in the basket um, for us. If, if you came prepared to give today, then we want to invite you to, to prepare your offering. You can use the offering envelope. Um, if you prefer to give in any of the other ways, you can certainly do that. Summertime for churches, and ours is no different, is always a challenging time in the area of giving. Um, this summer was probably the first summer where we didn't take a huge hit to where we feel like we couldn't recover and we had to halt some things like coffee and donuts and things like that. And we, we still are able to do things like that because we've seen more stability in this area of giving. And so I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I want to encourage you to continue being faithful in the area of giving and stewardship. Um, let's go ahead and commit this morning to the Lord again in prayer. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you so much for these words from Jesus and for this call on our lives to be salt and light. Help us to put this into action. Lord, show us the steps we can take today, tonight, this week. Help us not to just tuck this away into our Bible or into our pocket and, and forget about it. But Lord, would you help us to be people who courageously join you in your work and who, who desire to be part of your plan in spreading this message throughout the earth. Lord, that's a challenge for all of us. But I pray Lord, we would take it to heart. Lord, as we give this morning, or even as we've already given maybe in other ways, Lord, I pray that you would see these gifts, Lord, as a real act of worship. Lord, help us to be people who give not out of uh, pressure or coercion, but, Lord, as, as people who yielded our hearts to you and desire to um, resource your kingdom work, Lord. Help us to join you in that way. pray you just guide and protect us this week as we try to set about applying these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.